talking about complete, random, motiveless, unprovoked assaults. Tonight, a disturbing trend that shows no signs of slowing. Why police say a few people are causing most of the harm. Plus... I ready, ready up there. The new push to stop the relentless vandalism in Vancouver's historic Chinatown. And... I think he needs to know about this because it's such a huge issue in Canada. The issue some Indigenous delegates say was neglected during the Vatican visit. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. I'm Colleen Christie. Nitu Garcha is on assignment. A large turnout today for a public safety event hosted by Vancouver police who say the city is still seeing an average of four people assaulted by a stranger every day. The VPD personal safety fair drew crowds to the Roundhouse Community Centre. Police say since 2019, violent crime is up while property crime is down. Officers told the public they're responding to several violent, unprovoked attacks every 24 hours. Cases where there is no history or relationship between the attackers and victims. Suspects are identified and arrested in a majority of cases, but then they're released. Police are seeing the same small group of offenders with serious mental health and addiction issues over and over again. We're talking about complete, random, motiveless, unprovoked assaults, stranger assaults, where two people, where a person is walking downtown and for absolutely no reason is punched in the head, where somebody's walking their kid to the park, is spat on, where people are getting stabbed. These are the ones that cause us the most concern, and I can tell you those numbers have been up. When we start looking at different categories, like serious assaults, we're seeing a 28% increase from 2019 our baseline year. That's a problem. A number of people with some pretty complex social issues have been relocated into the downtown core and that's fueling a lot of the problems that we're seeing. Chow says Vancouver police are targeting the people causing the most harm to the city's neighborhoods while the government says it's expanding police mental health teams, investing millions in more complex care beds and supporting situation tables where experts are dealing with repeat offenders. Funding for a youth detox program is coming to an end. Vancouver Coastal Health says that money will now go to a new withdrawal management program for young people. But youth advocates want to know what happens to those who've come to rely on the existing program. Paul Johnson reports. So Family Services of Greater Vancouver have operated a uh, withdrawal management program for young people for close to 30 years. The program is known as Social Detox, a method of treating addiction to certain drugs that doesn't need to happen in a medical setting. It can be done in a place like this. It's a social detox. People come, they can sleep a lot, they can eat food that makes them feel comfortable, they can take a bath with Epsom salts, they can speak to uh, an addictions counsellor. Marnie Goldenberg oversees Directions Youth Management. She says in its decades of service, thousands of young people have sought treatment in its social detox program where staff are specifically trained to help young people who are exceptionally vulnerable. And they're 18, 19, 20, 21. They're young people and they're living rough. They don't know uh, where they're going to be next week. They are not stable. Goldenberg says the program was running just fine until December, when she was told by the program's sole funder, Vancouver Coastal Health, 
that the money would be cut off. They've explained that there are other service delivery models that they are looking to pursue. Vancouver Coastal Health told Global News they're still committed to ensuring young people can access detox. But the social detox model at this location doesn't align with current guidelines and best practices. They say they'll use the money to roll out a new program. I am sorry that the doors are closing. Very sorry. Whatever form the new program amounts to, Goldenberg says the existing program is well known around town and has personal connections that have taken years to establish. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. A Vancouver Island First Nation is demanding more action to combat rising overdose deaths. The Nechelneth Tribal Council says there aren't enough resources for people who want and need help. The council says it wants the same level of action to fight overdoses as it did to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. In particular, they want to see a rapid access addiction clinic on its traditional territory, as well as a detox center that would be culturally safe. We just feel like the government response hasn't been enough. There's just not enough money. There's not enough resources um, and services that could help our people that find themselves in need and could save their lives. (laughs) That's what we really want here is the ability to save lives and to help people out in the situations that they're in. A warning now about this next story. Many of the indigenous delegates and their supporters who traveled to Vatican City for historic meetings with Pope Francis are now on their way back to Canada. The Pope apologized for the harms caused by church-run residential schools and committed to come to Canada. Nitu Garcha is in Rome with more on a B.C. woman who was there this week to raise awareness about an often ignored issue. Nitu. Colleen, missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls and two-spirit people were talked about this week, but that BC advocate who travelled here to Rome to support the Indigenous delegation from Canada says not to the extent that she had pushed for, and she had a unique way of highlighting the crisis while she was here. Like the issue she's working to shine a light on in Vatican City, it's dark as Lorelai Williams, whose Indigenous name is Palihalshia, caps off a long day with photos in St. Peter's Square of her wearing a symbolic cape. Every single hand here represents the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and 2S. She travelled to Rome to support the Indigenous delegation meeting with Pope Francis in historic talks about reconciliation. Her hope was for the pontiff to promote the problem of violence against missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls and two-spirit people that a national inquiry in 2019 concluded amounts to a genocide. I've been out there on the front lines speaking about this so much, nobody really listens to me because I'm at the bottom of the barrel. In Canada, Indigenous women are at the very bottom and we're fighting, we're struggling, we're trying to survive. And because of all the racist systems that we live in, that's exactly why our Indigenous women and girls are going missing at a high rate. For years, she's been raising awareness about her own relatives, including her missing aunt Belinda Williams and her cousin Tanya. My cousin Tanya Holick went missing in 1996. Her DNA was later found on Robert Picton's farm. She says the Pope's apology on Friday for the harms caused by residential schools was missing a key acknowledgement. The president of the Native Women's Association of Canada hoped it would also be included. We're like a tree. 
of life. And under that tree of life, there are roots and we're all intertwined. And the missing, murdered Indigenous women, girls and two-spirit were entwined into it. I think he needs to know about this because... It's such a huge issue in Canada, and Canada itself doesn't even realize that this is a huge issue. They're having a hard time even accepting the fact that the genocide happened to our people, and it's still happening to our people. So I think he needs to acknowledge that so that other people will start acknowledging it. So Pelechasia's latest way of encouraging action is by wearing her cape and holding what she calls the genocide flag outside the home of one of the most powerful people on the planet. The latest Stats Canada data says Indigenous women are six times more likely to be murdered than non-Indigenous women. A systemic crisis, she says, she'll keep fighting to fix, especially as the Pope prepares to come to Canada, potentially in late July. Colleen? Garcha in Rome tonight. Need to thank you. There is a 24-hour support line for survivors and their families. It's toll-free and you can speak in confidence. It's one 800 721 Abbotsford City Council will be looking at four detailed options to improve flood mitigation on the Sumas Prairie during Monday's council meeting. Option one would see only minimal changes along with enhancements to the Barrowtown pump station. The second option is similar but would include a new Sumas River pump station. The city says neither meets the minimum flood protection guidelines from the province. Option three, among other things, would include new dikes and a new floodway along Sumas Prairie North. Option four would see a new pump station, dikes and floodways on the north and west sides of Sumas Prairie. The costs range from $209 million to just under $2.8 billion. A BC man bearing supplies has now made it to Ukraine. His story next plus. How Russian forces disperse a protest in Ukraine and the warning Russia is leaving mines as traps. And later, why BC's cruise ship season is being delayed once again. For most of the past two years, several Vancouver neighborhoods have been dealing with an increase in vandalism and graffiti, most notably in historic Chinatown. It's become so bad, the owner of one legacy business has launched a grassroots effort to try to revive the community. Kristen Robinson has more. Many people know me. My name is Uncle Peter. We first met Peter Lau last month after the mural on the wall of his Chinatown legacy business was defaced. Very dirty. I very, very up there. What he calls an expression of racial hatred, the last straw for a neighborhood under siege. The shop owner of 46 years and his wife starting a petition to revive Chinatown and stop vandalism. The graffiti on the walls and shops, it says, looks like a hell pattern. Business owners on the hook to remove it. This is not fair. The graffiti itself in Chinatown has gone up 300%. 300%. It's also hugely underreported, says VPD Deputy Chief Constable Howard Chow, who applauds Lau's effort. I think uh, he is likely from a generation that realizes that you've got, to do, you've got to step in and do the work that you need to do if you want to take back your community. 
Having the public participate in reclaiming a shattered Chinatown will be a key part of its economic revitalization plan. The Chinatown Foundation set to reveal the five-pillar strategy later this month. How do we make sure that we don't lose the legacy businesses that have been here for 25 and 30 years that really give Chinatown its character? So whether the motive itself is Asian hate crime, the fact that the feeling from the community is that it is, and that's a problem. Lau, who remembers the days when he bumped into beat cops on the street, is resting at home after the latest attack set off his heart issues. They all support this uh, side. His wife turning the page on the grassroots appeal, which has generated some 500 signatures supporting change in the city he loves. But I told you my, from my heart, I like Vancouver. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Twin sisters who vandalized an East Vancouver church last summer will not be going to jail. Witnesses videotaped 27-year-old Emily and Zoe Luba throwing orange paint onto St. Jude's Parish and Shrine on Canada Day. Emily pleaded guilty to two mischief charges for willfully defacing the wall of the church and for her role in an April protest on Polaris Realty property in downtown Vancouver. She was handed a conditional discharge and must write a letter of apology to the pastor and congregation of St. Jude's Parish. Zoe pleaded guilty to mischief and was sentenced to 12 months probation. If completed, she will also receive a conditional discharge and avoid a criminal record. A frightening scene in southern Ukraine. Local officials say Russian forces used stun grenades to disperse residents at a pro-Ukraine rally in the center of the occupied town of Ener or Odar. Some participants are said to have been detained. The latest intelligence out of Ukraine suggests Russian forces continue to withdraw around the capital of Kyiv, while the, in the east, fighting is intensifying. Any gains by Ukrainians come as the civilian death toll climbs higher and humanitarian corridors face challenges. Global's Abigail Beeman has the latest and a warning. Some of the images are disturbing. Russia's retreat around Kyiv, marked by bodies strewn along the road and abandoned or destroyed Russian tanks. Ukraine's president says its troops have retaken control of more than 30 towns or villages, but warns Russia is leaving mines behind as traps, warning people to be careful. While in the east, Zelensky says Russian troops are advancing on Donbass and Kharkiv, and the situation remains extremely difficult. A challenge, too, getting humanitarian aid into Mariupol and Melitopol and getting people out. After others were forced to turn back, this convoy successfully rescued these people from the besieged port city. Not enough space, says the driver, with so many people who wanted to leave. Some had to stand. Others, of course, remain trapped. And international pressure continues to mount on Russia. Saturday, Pope Francis came the closest yet to criticizing Russian President Vladimir Putin for provoking and fomenting conflicts, though not by name. He also said a papal visit to Kyiv is on the table. Il vento proveniente da est. Here in Canada, Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie gears up for a week-long trip to Europe to discuss the war in Ukraine with allies. She begins with a meeting with her counterpart in Finland Monday, then on to Berlin, and finally meetings with G7 and NATO foreign ministers in Brussels. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. 
We are hearing once again from a Vancouver man who traveled to Ukraine to help those fighting against Russian forces. Emily Lazatin has the latest on the supplies still desperately needed in the conflict zone and his plea to the world not to forget the country's plight. Small video report on radios. We have received the first two. On the front lines, these radios can be a matter of life and death. Those radios are uh, needed like air. Um, they cannot be bought anywhere. Nazari, a Ukrainian-Canadian, has now been in Kyiv for a month, working every day as part of Ukraine's territorial defense forces. No, he's not in the trenches, but his role, crucial, defending citizens and distributing resources like radios, food and blankets. So look at this and ask yourself a question. So who did this? The constant shelling by Russians, proof. The flow of supplies and humanitarian aid cannot come fast enough. And Azari is once again pleading for donations. There's three acute shortages that um, our government just didn't think. You know, the body armor, communication, uh, such as digital radios, satellite phones, etc. And specific medical items. Back in B.C., his other home, Nazari's Vancouver employer, VoltSafe, has been helping out, collecting donations and running a GoFundMe to buy supplies that will be shipped to Ukraine. Long trip to go to Poland and then have runners that somehow miraculously make it through. It blows my mind how they do it. It's pretty cool knowing that we are actually landing stuff for him and for Ukraine and making a difference. And there's more to collect and send. Walkie-talkies, medical supplies, you name it, they'll likely need it. Anyone can drop by here and, uh, you know, even just literally walk in the door and say, hey, this is what I got, this is how it can help. Nazari, a logistics expert in Vancouver, using his skills back home. He's afraid as the days and weeks go on, the call for help will fall on deaf ears. He has this message to the West and the rest of the world. Please don't forget about us. It's a very bad situation here. Please stand with us till the end. Emily Lazatin, Global News. The bombs certainly have not stopped the Ukrainians from fighting back. In Westminster today, shoes and ribbons commemorate the victims and survivors of the bombing of the theater in Mariupol, Ukraine, last month. Ukrainian officials say more than 300 people were killed when bombs fell on the structure March 17th. As many as 1,200 people, many women, children and seniors were sheltering inside. Those who organized the vigil say it's important for the community to come together to show their solidarity with the people of Ukraine. And this is very meaningful for, for people to come and these symbolic gestures, being it shoes, being it little angels, be it anything else. We have this visible sign of invisible suffering, hardship, fear, anxiety, but also visible sign of joy and of power of, of being together and of strength that comes from true love. BC's highly anticipated cruise ship season has been delayed. The reason for a canceled trip to Victoria may be all too familiar. And the new COVID mutant subvariant in the UK that spreads even more easily than Omicron and BA2. Next. 
Premier John Horgan has called a by-election in the Vancouver Quilchina riding for Saturday, April 30th. The seat became vacant when former B.C. Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson resigned as an MLA in February. The new B.C. Liberal leader, Kevin Falcon, is running for the seat so he can return to the legislature as an MLA. The NDP has nominated Douglas College Political Science Chair Jeanette Ash to run. Victoria police are asking for your help to identify a woman who was involved in a suspicious incident this morning. At about 11.30, a woman was seen screaming for help in the passenger seat of a van on Hillside Avenue. She was seen trying to get out of the moving vehicle. The woman is described as white, 28 to 30 years old. She has a thin, oval-shaped face and bleached blonde shoulder-length hair. She wore a sweatshirt that was either light pink or white. The van is described as a newer white utility van with blacked-out rear windows and no side windows. The rear license plate on the van was described as having red lettering and maybe an Alberta license plate. The van did not have a front license. The van is described as being similar in appearance to a GMC Savannah cargo van. Anyone with information is asked to call Victoria Police or Crime Stoppers. With the easing of pandemic travel restrictions, anticipation is high for the return of the cruise ship season to our coast. The Caribbean Princess was set to be the first to arrive in Victoria on Wednesday. But as Julia Foy reports, it's been delayed as the U.S. CDC investigates a COVID-19 outbreak on board. Open the car, dear. Port Coquitlam couple Bev and Dan Byrne had their bags packed and were ready to roll. We were so looking forward to this. They were supposed to be jetting off to San Francisco Sunday morning and boarding the Caribbean Princess ship for a cruise back to Vancouver. It would be the first ship to arrive in over two years. That changed Friday night. We got an email from Princess about 9 o'clock last night. And then I waited until, I thought it was an April Fool's joke. This was no joke. The ship's journey, which began in Florida, was being cut short and passengers will be offloaded in San Francisco. A Kelowna man's family is on board the Caribbean Princess. I feel sorry for, you know, Gary and Debbie don't get their time in San Francisco, they don't get their time in Victoria, and, uh, you know, we're going to miss out on a, on a good visit. Global reached out to Princess Cruises and in a statement they say... Princess Cruises has made the difficult decision to cancel the coastal portion of the upcoming cruise from San Francisco to Vancouver to allow added time to prepare for the planned extensive dry dock scheduled for April 7th. Halverson's family says they were told the ship has mechanical problems, but also COVID issues. Most people are wearing masks and they're washing their hands and the cruise line has done everything they can to protect people and you know, people have done what they can to protect each other, So, but you're still getting cases. The U.S. Center for Disease Control's website confirms that reported cases of COVID-19 on the Caribbean Princess have met the threshold for CDC investigation. Of course, we're disappointed, but, you know, we'll look forward to Saturday, and we have a, a really busy, robust season. Vancouver is expected to welcome 350 cruise ships between April and October. There's the, the locks. As for the burns, they'll have to make do. I need a chef and a bartender to come by every day this week because we have no groceries. We haven't been shopping. Until their next cruise to Hawaii sails in the fall. 199 more days. Julia Foy, Global News.
The pandemic has also impacted the temporary foreign worker program, which is an integral part of the agriculture sector in the Okanagan Valley and other parts of the province. Well, now, as Darian Matassafung reports, the restrictions surrounding those workers are being lifted. Everything can uh, depend on the worker and the weather, right? Okanagan fruit growers are happy the B.C. government has lifted its temporary foreign worker quarantine program. The Okanagan Valley has seen a massive shortage of workers in the past couple of years, leading to large losses of crops. The farmer always think from the hoping, right? We think it's a good hope, right? The weather looks good, everything looks good, right? Now the, maybe the cherry crop coming, the heavy crop again, right? But we need the workers. Karma Gill, the owner of Farming Karma Fruit, says the lifting of the quarantine program is welcomed, but he still would like to see a more streamlined system in place. But the program is hard for the, the farmer needs the easy program. Then we can qualify. So, so you would like to see more? Uh, more like workers. You would like to see more workers, more workers you right. want to see it easier? Easy, easier, yeah. I look and uh, I think about why they did not give the visa for 5G. The BC Cherry Association says it agrees it is time to lift the quarantine program, but it is also thankful the program was in place over the past couple of years as they believe the BC government did a good job at limiting outbreaks. We're, we're very thankful that the uh, BC government, you know, took that information and, and made a, uh, what I think was, and, and, and I think the proof shows in the results that uh, they made the right call in, in, in central the quarantine so so it was a, it allowed us to really minimize outbreaks and uh, and get through get through these past couple seasons vaccines have been quite readily available you know i do uh, i do understand uh, that uh, the decision to uh, to stop the quarantine at this point it, it does it does make sense. In a release, the Ministry of Agriculture and Food said, with the easing of federal travel restrictions and 97% of incoming workers being fully vaccinated against COVID-19, arriving workers will travel directly to their farms. All foreign workers who are not fully vaccinated are still required to quarantine for two weeks. Employers are responsible for the provision of quarantine accommodations, food and support, but a government subsidy up to $3,000 per quarantined worker is still available. Darian Matassa Fung, Global News, Kelowna. COVID-19 infections in the UK have reached record levels as a mutant subvariant spreads. The latest figures from Britain's official statistics agency show 4.9 million people in the country have been infected in the week ending March 26th. That's about one in 13 people, the highest number seen there since they started tracking numbers in April of 2020. The surge is largely being driven by an Omicron BA2 subvariant. The good news, the number of people dying from COVID is still very low compared to earlier this year. But scientists say there are more than 600 confirmed cases in the UK of the new mutant variant known as XE. It's said to be 10% more contagious than the already extremely contagious BA2, which is far more contagious than Omicron. It's great in the summer, but health experts say moving to permanent daylight savings time is a bad idea. We'll tell you why. Plus, with flooding possible, BC's wildfire season has officially begun. And celebrating the fleeting beauty of cherry blossoms as the news hour continues. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. 
April 1st marked the official start of wildfire season in B.C. and the Kamloops Fire Center is gearing up with new recruits and a shift to year-round service. Through April and May, the Wildfire Service will be recalling seasonal employees and conducting its boot camp. This year, there were more than 1,000 applicants, which is comparable to previous years. So far, there hasn't been any major fire activity, but the service is reminding residents to be extra careful. We do see fire activity in the spring in the Kamloops Fire Center, uh, typically grass fires. So while this fire activity is not unusually f- unusual for the spring, uh, the grass and other fuels are dead from over the winter and have had a chance to green up, which makes them quite dry and volatile. So combine that with the increasing temperatures and windy conditions that we see in the spring, this can cause fires to spread quite quickly. Information bulletins and updates around fire bans or restrictions can be found on the B.C. government website. And to report a fire, dial star 5555 on your cell phone. Vancouver is celebrating the beautiful but short-lived cherry blossom season. We'll have more on that right after Yvonne's forecast. Colleen, today was the calm before the storm. We had a brief break, but we are seeing active weather, especially through the day on Sunday. It'll intensify, and we've got a significant amount of snow that is on the way if you're traveling along the mountain passes. I'll have more coming up in just a moment. But a glance at what it looks like out there, we are seeing a few breaks. But overnight tonight, the precipitation is going to pick up. It'll be heavy at times, leading in towards the morning hours, and windy tomorrow. Anywhere between 30, we could see those winds with gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour. We are going to see a bit of a one-two punch. It'll be in waves tomorrow overnight through the morning hours with a heavier wave and then it intensifies as we get in Sunday night. So through the morning hours we will see that rainfall windy at times for all areas along the south coast. It'll be a bit of a lull in the action through the day and then heavier rainfall once again as we get in towards the evening hours. High stream flow advisory that is in effect for all areas in yellow so it extends along the south coast and what we'll be watching closely is the potential for significant rise in rivers. No major flooding is expected and minor flooding for low-lying areas. So it'll likely peak as we get in towards our Monday, but that is a heads up. Rainfall amounts with up to 50 millimeters for most areas. It'll be higher amounts along the North Shore Mountains, the Tri-Cities, and extending in towards the Fraser Valley. Now, we are seeing a significant amount of rain, though, for the western edge of the island with the rainfall warning that is in effect with up to 100 millimeters, 50 millimeters for the eastern edge, and windy conditions along the eastern edge of the island extending in towards the Sunshine Coast between 70 and up to 90 kilometers per hour. And then all areas areas that are in gray is where we're seeing that special weather statement and Metro Vancouver is included within that along the North Shore Mountains. Also a heads up, if you're traveling along the mountain passes, we are looking at a significant amount of snow beginning tomorrow night, continuing for the Kootenai Pass into Monday, 20 and up to 30 centimeters. And for areas along the Coquihalla, continuing to see the snowfall into Tuesday with the potential between 25 and up to 40 centimeters. So a heads up, you'll want to check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Now along the northern half of the province, it'll be on and off Hours. Most areas for the central interior will see that instability with even the risk of thunderstorms. Southern half of the province, it's higher elevations. We'll see that snow heavy at times Sunday night, continuing into early next week. Along the south coast, it'll be wet and windy for tomorrow. We'll be tracking that rainfall intensifying towards the evening hours, tapering off to showers on Monday, and then drying out with a nice bright spot on Tuesday, sunny with highs up to 12 degrees. Colleen? Oh, sunshine. Thanks, Yvonne. An annual rite of spring is back in Vancouver after a two-year COVID hiatus.
Dozens of people headed to the big picnic at David Lamb Park today to kick off the Vancouver Cherry Blossom Festival. The large outdoor picnic is held under the blossoms of 100 cherry blossom trees. Numerous family-friendly events were held to celebrate not only Japanese culture, but those of the Squamish, Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh nations as well. This great sort of amalgamation of certainly Japanese culture is a big part of uh, what brings people here, um, but also it's a way of celebrating you know, this festival was inspired by the gift of the cherry trees to the city of Vancouver from the country of Japan. And so we want to extend that friendship building with different cultures and bringing as much diversity here as possible. The Sakura Days Japan Fair will be held at Van Tuzen Botanical Gardens next weekend. The festival runs until April 23rd. I have to say, it's one of my favorite times of the year mm -hmm. because of those cherry blossoms. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Except when they fall on your car hood. Yeah. Other well, than that, that, it's great. Oh, Barry. <laughs> Just thought to enjoy it first. I know it's beautiful, I know. <laughs> they're short-lived, that's why. What are you enjoying right now? As a right guy, now? it's up to me to always point out there's something wrong. Something <laughs> wrong. Uh, it's been something wrong with the Whitecaps offense uh, this year. They've not won a game yet, game five, but they can change that with the win over Sporting Kansas City. Playing right now, late in the second half, will be close to over when I'm up in about 10 minutes. We'll have uh, highlights of that coming up. And tennis fans, great chance to watch uh, some of Canada's best players, Leila Andy Fernandez, Rebecca Marino, in a couple of weeks at the Billie Jean King Cup. And we'll talk to Rebecca about that coming up. Oh, okay. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Barry. Fair to say most of us are loving the daylight lasting a little longer each day, but there is a downside. Then in the winter months, the sun will not be rising until well later than it currently is. So in some places, well after 8 a.m. Why doctors say the move towards permanent daylight savings time may be the wrong one. Next. U.S. legislation would make year-round daylight savings time permanent. That's the time we're on right now. That would mean many of us would be heading to school or to work in the dark, especially in the fall and winter, and seeing more daylight in the evening. But sleep experts say it's actually bad for our overall health and safety and that there is a better option. Many of us have strong opinions on making the adjustment when the clocks fall back or spring forward. People just don't want uh, darkness when they go to uh, come back from work. It doesn't, it does, just doesn't make sense. I like that it's not going to be dark anymore because I can go out. I feel like I won't be as tired. Losing an hour, an hour and a half in some parts of the country because of daylight. A bill so making daylight saving time permanent is gaining steam with lawmakers. The American Academy of Sleep Medicine agrees with eliminating seasonal time changes, but instead recommends year-round permanent standard time, which gives us more light in the morning and less at night, aligning more with our body's internal clock. If we go on to permanent daylight saving time, then in the winter months, the sun will not be rising until well later than it currently is. So in some places, well after 8 a.m., that's going to make it very difficult for people to wake up and to function. The U.S. tried permanent daylight saving time before. Congress passed a law in the early 1970s implementing it for two years. But Americans didn't like it, and it was repealed. Data shows there are significant health and safety risks when we spring forward an hour in March, including more vehicle crashes, mood disorders, and increased risk of heart attacks and strokes. Dr. Lisa Meltzer is with National Jewish Health. With our cardiac rhythms and our health, 
Um, those are certainly impacted when our rhythms get off and when we're not getting enough sleep. Dr. Meltzer warns that longer days and lighter afternoons might be enticing, but must be weighed against the negative impacts of getting up in the dark. Laura Podesta, CBS News, New York. Now, if the House passes the Sunshine Protection Act bill and Joe Biden signs it, it would take effect in 2023. Barry has sports next, including the Whitecaps' hunt for a win, and later, the photo that's doing so much more than just looking cute. We'll explain when the news hour continues. Support those living with ALS through Project Hope. Help the ALS Society of BC reach their goal of raising $20 million to establish a world-class ALS center at UBC. This project aims to bring hope to ALS patients and fulfill the dream of finding a cure. Head to BC Place for the HSBC Canada Sevens Tournament. Don't miss another year of high-intensity sevens rugby paired with the spectacle of entertainment and the ultimate costume party. Info at CanadaSevens.com. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Barry's here with sports, and I was just thinking about how maybe the Whitecaps need to hire John Herdman for a little while. Well, he's uh, kind of at a premium right now. I think he's busy right <laughs> now. Busy. But we love Vanny. Don't let Vanny know. We love Vanny. Of course. It's just early. The, the slow start for sure, but lots of time to, to repair that. Thanks, Colleen. Over a month into the MLS season, the Whitecaps still searching for their first win of the season. A combination of tough opponents, a road-heavy schedule, and key injuries have the Caps at the bottom of the Western Conference with just a draw and three losses to show in four matches. But they do play their next two at home, including tonight at BC Place against Sporting Kansas City, the team that knocked them out of the playoffs last season. Caps happy to be back home. Just their second game at BC Place. Got to take advantage of it tonight. Brian White in the lineup has barely played because of a foot injury. He ends up in the net, but uh, couldn't quite connect on the Norwinsky cross later while going for goal again. But Casey Col- uh, goalkeeper Tim Melia bravely hanging on as White got his foot in there. Early second half, still scoreless. Ryan Gauld has also had some injury issues, but... Gets a piece of that one, the glancing header, easily saved by Melia. And at the other end, Daniel Shallowy will test Thomas Hassall, but the uh, young Canadian with the fine save. Then finally, something for Whitecap fans to really celebrate. Michael Baldissimo chips it into the box, and it's Ryan Raposo who pokes it into the far corner. It's the first home goal for the Caps this year, and they have a 1-0 lead as we speak very late in the second half. Let's uh, face it, it doesn't look good for the Canucks, but just four weeks to go in the NHL regular season. They have 13 games left and need to win at least 11 to even have a shot at getting into the playoffs. What they really need are the teams in front of them to all go into a big collective slump, namely the Stars, Jets, and Golden Knights. The Canucks host Vegas tomorrow at 4. Vegas currently holds the final playoff spot in the West, seven points better than Vancouver. NHL tonight, Jets and Kings from Winnipeg. Dave Lowry's Jets, three points up on the Canucks, late first. Uh, Anjay Kopitar with the goal here, his 1,200th NHL game. 16 NHL seasons all with L.A. That's 364 goals, 1,058 points. He's a great player. Second period, now 3-1. Adam Lowry on the rebound just as a power play ends, cuts it to 3-2, and that's where they stand right now late 
in the third period. And we got some Penguins and Avalanche, Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon, Nova Scotia's best, good friends, great players. Second period, Crosby with his 26th of the year. How many times has this guy batted pucks out of the air? Great hand-eye coordination. would be a great baseball player if he chose that field. Third period, now 2-2. Devin Taves will fire home the carom off the end boards. That's the game winner as Colorado takes it 3-2 over Pittsburgh. Two weeks from now, Canada will host Latvia in the Billie Jean King Cup team tennis competition at the Pacific Coliseum. It is a qualifier for the World Cup of Tennis. Canada will be led by Leila Annie Fernandez and Vancouver's own Rebecca Marino, who is excited to be playing in her hometown for the first time in many years. Rebecca Marino is playing some of the best tennis of her life right now, despite the fact her life as a tennis pro the past couple of years has been full of obstacles. Tennis has been affected more by the pandemic than most sports because of the amount of world travel required. Returning 100 mile per hour serves, no problem. But COVID? And I get a PCR test. What time window is that? Um, I need a test now. And then trying to get my boosters and all my vaccine through the year and like whew, it's, it was crazy so I think like after all of that getting to now where things are settling down that's probably why I'm starting to play better too. Marino has had big success on the ITF Challenger Tour of late. She has a win and a couple of runner-ups in Mexico which got her this fancy sombrero and her ranking is now up to 112 in the world and at age 31 she's really hitting her stride. So it's exciting that now she will be playing in Vancouver next month at the Billie Jean Cup team competition as Canada takes on Latvia at the Pacific Coliseum. It's like the comeback of tennis, basically, having it in this big arena and having all the fans come out. For me being at home, it's it's going to be amazing and have my friends and family there to celebrate, you know. Hopefully. <laughs> I think we're really fortunate that all of the players who represent Canada on the tour are very proud to be Canadian and always um, are happy to play in this team event. So we, we have a great uh, team dynamic and very cohesive. This will be Marino's first home game in Billie Jean Cup, so the fans will actually be cheering for her, which is a much different dynamic than playing in hostile territory. So I've always played like the villain and it's kind of fun to be the villain at the away games and like go up against the crowd and try to prove them wrong so uh, i'm hoping in this case playing for home um it's it's gonna be just an amazing feeling having the crowd behind you Men's World Curling from Las Vegas. Canada's Brad Gushu meeting the Czech Republic in his opening game. Fourth end, Gushu looking for a very delicate raise to score two. Just gets past the Czech Yellowstone and he gets it. Canada built a 5-1 lead, but it was just 6-4 Canada in the 10th. Checks with hammer, but Gushu puts the hammer down with his final shot. A perfect draw into a perfect spot. The Czechs literally had no shot to get their two points. So game over. Canada takes its opener 6-4 over the Czech Republic. PGA Tour stop is the Valero Texas Open from San Antonio. Adam Hadwin playing very well of late. 
from 37 feet at the 8th. This will go down for birdie. Adam is the top Canadian, tied 21st at minus 5. Roger Sloan of Merritt tied 48th. Corey Connors tied 63rd. Four-way tie at the top, including J.J. Spawn, who holds out from the rough on 13 for birdie. Brant Snedeker, Bo Hostler, and Dylan Fratelli also leading at minus 10. EPL back in action. Two-team battle at the top. Man City and Liverpool. City taking on Burnley. Belgian soccer star Kevin De Bruyne gives City the early lead. Of course, De Bruyne in Belgium will meet Canada at the World Cup this November in Qatar. And then it's Ilka Gundogan adding insurance in the 25th minute as Manchester City win yet again to nil the final over Burnley. Earlier, Liverpool taking on Watford. Joe Gomez, right wing cross, and it's Diego Jota with the glancing header. 1-0 Reds, they added another from the spot, so they keep pace. 2-0 the final over Watford. Liverpool remain a point behind Man City. Eight to play, including a massive head-to-head match next Sunday at the Etihad. Vancouver Warriors, busy weekend. Played last night in Calgary, taking on the Roughnecks. Warriors were down 5-1 at one point, but roar back. Keegan Ball, he's been their top offensive player. What a move that was to score to tie at 7-7. This would go to overtime. And it's Curtis Dixon who bags the winner 31 seconds in for Calgary. Tough one for the Warriors who fall 10-9. Right back at it tonight at Rogers as they host the Albany Firewolves at 7. They'll have highlights of that tonight at 11. And that's it for sports, Colleen. Sounds good. Thanks, Barry. When we come back, 55 dogs on a log for a cause. We'll explain next. upping its game on a picture-perfect fundraiser. Have a look at this. This is the official photo for Pooch Pack Adventures, 55 dogs on a log for a cause. This was on Wednesday. The canines assembled for the long line shoot with 50% of the day's dog hike revenue going to support domestic violence survivors who own pets. The donation will help fund Haven Pets and Families Compassionate Boarding Program through the SBCA. The goal is to raise $5,000 through a public GoFundMe page. Pooch Pack raised $3,500 in 2015 with its 40 dogs on a log fundraiser. <laughs> so you can imagine they'll be in for more this time. I want to get them yeah. to pose. Everybody's that waiting long. behind, maybe owners are behind the log. There's a documentary there waiting to be made. You bet. Um, do we have any time left for a look at the weather? Cherry blossoms, I think. There you go. <laughs> It'll Tuesday. be stormy tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Take care. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.